This is a Macquarie Group podcast. Hello and welcome to Macquarie's Perspectives podcast, where our diverse team of experts and invited special guests share their latest thinking on current and emerging topics. It's great to be with you today. My name is Kristen Edmund and I'm the Head of Equity Research for Macquarie Capital across Australia and New Zealand. In today's episode, I'm delighted to be discussing the world of asset allocation with a past colleague and longtime friend of mine, Tanya Bramwhite. Tanya kindly gave some of her time to a panel discussion on the subject at this year's Macquarie Australia Conference, the largest annual gathering of Australian companies and investors. Tanya comes to us with a wealth of experience in asset allocation and is Head of Portfolio Construction for T-Corp, the investment and financial management arm of the New South Wales Government. T-Corp manages 14 portfolios on behalf of the state, which equate to roughly 110 billion in funds under management. Previously, Tanya held senior roles at the Future Fund, Macquarie Group, Deutsche Bank, Credit Suisse and Citigroup. Welcome, Tanya. Thanks, Kristen. It's great to have you with us. It's great to be here. So my first question for you, Tanya, is a fairly big picture one. Can you give us a summary of your role, what you do on a day-to-day basis and where you believe you can add the most value? So it's a very interesting question because I think often when you're asked, what do you do? You tend to sort of go straight into what's my function? What's the actual stuff that I do? Um, I happen to head up a, a team of around 14 people Uh, a wonderful team, very capable people. So my first response to that is actually making sure that the team is very clear on what we're trying to achieve strategically and then making sure that I can support them, help them and certainly smooth the path for their roles. That doesn't probably tell you much about what we actually do, so maybe I'll go into that next. Um, Portfolio construction at T Corp is really responsible for considering the investment objectives and the mission for each of the portfolios that we manage on behalf of the state, and then ensuring that the portfolio that we design, that we want to build with the various elements of investments that we can get exposure to align to those objectives. And we have a very diverse group of portfolios, some of which are purely return seeking. Others uh, have got very specific missions, whether that's pools of capital to support state activities like infrastructure building, or it could be uh, insurance or liability aware type funds. So our group really does spend all of our day thinking long-term about what's the right construction of the portfolio, the right mix of assets, and actually what is the right mix of risks that we're prepared to hold on behalf of those clients to ensure that we have the best probability of meeting their mission over whatever the time horizon is. Um, So that actually is, um, it's a pretty full on, for 14 different portfolios, it's a pretty full on job uh, for the whole team. Uh, we're very busy pretty well um, most of the time. Yes, it sounds like a great responsibility and it must be very rewarding when done well. Yeah, look, um, I think many of us in the investment um, space has to acknowledge that really the last 10 years, um, notwithstanding things like the COVID drawdown, um, issues around sort of uh, China uh, back in 2016-17 and coming out of the GFC, but really when we take a look back, the investment environment for uh, most funds right around the world has been a very very beneficial environment in terms of return. Uh, the the, The level of returns has been very high, particularly relative to the amount of risk that we've taken on. And that has seen, obviously, um, most people 
um, positively surprised by the level of investment returns they've been able to generate. And with the explosion of data available to help you assess performance, how has the world of asset allocation changed for you over the last five years? Um, look, that's a really good question. Uh, I think as with most spaces, um, the availability of uh, comprehensive and broad data across the whole investment universe that we look at has just, I won't say exploded, it's sort of been a slow burn, but really there is just increasingly amounts of, of information and data that we can apply into our thinking across the whole range of our investments for our portfolios. So whether that's asset classes, whether that's what we call risk premia or betas, uh, whether that's individual investments and individual strategies, uh, that data and its availability and being able to harness that, both a challenge but an opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, the amount of data is the challenge, how to really curate that so that it's meaningful to us and then aligning it to our own needs and ensuring it supplies us with the insights that we're seeking. Uh, but there is no doubt that if we looked across the last decade, um, not just in the listed space, but increasingly in the unlisted space, there is just uh, massive amounts of information and data that we can bring, analyze and provide insights and information that you wouldn't have certainly had the opportunity to look at, mm. say, 10 years ago. It's incredibly interesting. And it's notable that there's been a move more to the passive money management side of things, and that's been happening for some time now. Do you believe we're nearing the end of this shift? And do you think the current market structure offers up greater opportunities for skilled active managers? Yeah. So first of all, I'll, I'll nuance your question. Um, I actually don't like the word passive. It implies that the asset owner is not making a decision. In fact, we call passive what is called in the marketplace passive as beta replication. So in other words, we are looking in our portfolio construction to try and gain exposure to a particular set of risk and return behaviours. So if we think about the listed equity market, um, the so-called indexes which passive money follows they are what we call proxies for those risk and return behaviours. And in some areas of the marketplace, we would assess that the opportunity and confidence in active management being able to deliver superior returns uh, for fees and for the risk we're taking may not be there. So we make an active decision to look for the index as, it's, as our way of getting that exposure. So coming back to your question, do we think the transition of so-called um, specific manager money that's active in its pursuit of risk and return in a particular asset class. Has that tr transition or that shift changed? Um, I would say probably not. Uh, I think the going back to the question we just talked about before, data has actually been a challenge, if you like, for active managers. The ability to uh, take a portfolio, to pull it apart, to understand whether or not there is true skill that is bringing a different set of um, exposures that uh, the, the manager is unique in being able to construct uh, as opposed to styles or what we would call factor exposures, which may also differenti differentiate an outcome to the underlying index. Um, data has been able to empower asset managers uh, and asset owners to understand that more transparently. And with, I think, the focus of um, reward uh, 
net of fees. That's obviously meant, do we really want to pay fees uh, for that sort of outcome? And I think there's certainly been uh, challenges in the active manager space for sustainability of uh, returns over and above the index or the benchmark, such that um, a lot of, I think, asset owners have focused more on the actual asset class risk and return characteristics rather than perhaps some of the more um, nuanced strategies that an active manager can bring. Now, that said, active management, when it can deliver uh, above the index or above the the passive um, management returns, uh, for no additional risk, that is very valuable and certainly uh, enhances a total portfolio outcome. Yes, I could imagine that's right. And looking at the relationship that you have with these active managers, how closely would you and the T Corp team work with the managers that you choose to allocate funds to? So would there be a lot of idea sharing or is it more of an outsourced arrangement? Um, Look, I think always um, whenever we embrace uh, any of a relationship with an external manager, they become um, critical to our portfolio outcomes. And so they really are partners that are sharing the journey with us. uh, And increasingly going back to the whole point of data and the way in which portfolio construction has been evolving, often an individual manager will have a very particular role that we're seeking them to play in the overall portfolio outcome. Uh, Or their particular approach or style will be bringing something back to the portfolio that we're really um, very keen for them to be able to deliver on our behalf. So therefore it does become a really important partnership. Uh, Increasingly, I think um, investment managers are very much aware of the role that they should be playing for, uh, for, for the underlying managers or for the underlying asset owner or for the portfolios in which they're um, managing assets for. And so you do end up with a much closer dialogue. So I don't think at all we would ever consider it as just an outsourced, you know, here's the money, you go and do the job and, and we'll just take whatever is the outcome. So very much I would say a symbiotic, increasingly symbiotic Um, hand-in-glove type relationship with managers who are really playing important roles in our portfolio Mm. construction. And there's been a consistent thread of the importance of data throughout this discussion. ESG is a space where the availability of data has recently improved exponentially, I would say. I'm really keen to understand the importance of ESG in the T-Corp process and also how you think ESG outcomes will be balanced versus returns. Yep. So, T-Corp's investment model uh, is premised on thinking about risks. We take a view that the amount of return that we we receive is certainly a um, relationship to how much risk we're prepared to take on behalf of our client portfolios. And in that sort of context or that sort of investment model thinking, ESG fits very, very clearly into that. Um, ESG is another set of risks they are different in their dimensionality to um, the standard asset class um, risk and return type behaviours in a financial sense, but they are clearly uh, broader stewardship type considerations. Stewardship has been um, an inherent element of both our investment beliefs and the way in which we think about portfolio construction. Uh, You're very right, Kristen, to call out the issue of data. Uh, because I think anything in the stewardship stewardship space is the area in which data is still really evolving. And as there is increasing demand for understanding the various lenses of ESG risks that we're exposed to, then the increasing demand for data will, I think, quite clearly bring data back 
to the the asset owners and investment managers. So yes, data is increasingly um, part and parcel of our overall portfolio thinking. So whether it's um, designing a, a net zero type of um, portfolio construction, trying to think through what that transition over the next 25 to 30 years will look like, uh, where the exposures to the portfolio are vulnerable, where are there opportunities, but also where there may be trade-offs in terms of risks um, that may not be rewarded in the future. It is a very complex space at the moment because I think it is still in its infancy. Uh, and I think getting a full map of a portfolio, remembering that it's not, um, you know, it's just not one asset. It in many cases can be hundreds, if not often thousands of positions that a total portfolio may hold. Trying to understand how all of that comes together means data, like every other part of our portfolio analysis will need to evolve to allow us to, to have that full understanding. Yes, and I'm interested to know if you find this process differs materially between public and private markets. Yeah, look, that's a very good question. Um, the ESG space, I think, in the last five years, as it's really been accelerating, has tended to focus on the listed space predominantly because listed markets, because of their transparency already in a governance sense, have made uh, ESG data, have made climate uh, or carbon type emissions data uh, much more um, available and have been part of their overall uh, public market reporting. In the unlisted space, there hasn't been as much scrutiny, but when you think about a portfolio, certainly the listed and the unlisted space, they are all part of a total portfolio. And so while there's been more focused on the listed space and certainly more activity, uh, more let's just say activism that's been apparent uh, out, in the, out in the community, there is no doubt that the unlisted space has, has to have the same uh, thought process, uh, the investment side has to have the same transparency and certainly has to come together because if we think about most multi-asset portfolio managers, uh, to the extent that you could never say your portfolio is committed to something if only part of it is being managed with that, uh, with that commitment in mind. So there's no doubt the unlisted and listed space has to come together. Mm. Um, and it will be interesting to see how long that takes for that information gap to close. Yeah, look, um, I think increasingly the unlisted space, um, whether it's unlisted property, unlisted infrastructure, uh, private equity, all of those spaces I think are increasingly aware of both the responsibility and the need uh, to think about that because stakeholders are asking for it. But I don't think there has been the same transparency from a broad investment place. So, so yes, there, there's a lot for them to catch up on, but I think there is no doubt that that process has already begun. Mm. And looking to the future, what do you see as the most likely and exciting area of innovation when it comes to portfolio construction? Um, Perhaps I might do a, a sort of a, a slight broad advertisement for what we call total portfolio thinking. Um, as you highlighted before, my heritage in asset ownership comes from the Future Fund. And um, the Future Fund's investment philosophy, and certainly that that has been adopted by T Corp over the last four to five years as well, is one of thinking about the portfolio, not in its specific asset classes, but thinking about it as a whole, which is in fact what all of our clients actually ultimately receive. So I think the, um, the, the use of that investment model, extracting the maximum benefit of that investment model now that T Corp has fully transitioned to a total portfolio approach, uh, that's probably the most exciting thing for us as a team. 
um, from an external or an investment market landscape, I think the most challenging thing that we are now really coming to terms with, and it's been spoken about for probably the last four or five or even more years than that, is facing into a, an investment return environment that's lower, more volatile and more uncertain. Um, you know, here we stand at sort of um, in May of 2022, um, and I think the, the last few months has started to make investors actually stand back and say, perhaps we really now are facing into that environment, notwithstanding the fact that we've talked about it for a long time. So I think the biggest challenge is going to be realising that the very high nominal returns that we've um, been able to be beneficiaries of over the last decade are going to be much more challenging uh, to, to, to generate. And also the level of volatility uh, is going to be much more, um, I think, prevalent uh, in our experience of portfolios and portfolio construction. So I think right across the investment landscape, and that goes obviously from individual superannuants to large asset owners like ourselves and everyone in between, the environment that we're going to be, I think, having to work within is going to be more challenging. That brings opportunities, but it also brings challenges and threats. So I think um, being a little bit more pragmatic about the environment uh, going forward will be the challenge for all of us. Yes, and hopefully in an environment where good quality research is more highly valued by all. I would certainly say good quality research should always be highly valued, Kristen. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Tanya. It's been an absolute pleasure to hear your insights and it's always lovely to see you. Thank you, Kristen. It's lovely to have the opportunity. Thanks for listening to this episode of Perspectives. You can learn more about Macquarie's Australia Conference at macquarie.com. Thank you for listening to this Macquarie Group podcast. All episode disclaimers can be found in the show notes.